I want to invite you to take your Bibles with me to Luke chapter 2 this morning. Luke 2 on this Christmas Sunday before the big Christmas day. Um, We are finishing up our hope series. Hope is here. And the notes are there in your bulletin, or if you'd like to go right online to parkwaybaptist.org, you can click on latest message, you'll find a digital copy of the notes, and you can type in your own notes there as well as save it and email it to yourself. And so if you're a digital person that likes to do that, feel free to go right online, find those notes. So we've been studying through this Christmas season, this series entitled Hope is Here. We began back several weeks ago with Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, and we were looking at the planning of the arrival of hope. This planning was written 700 years before the birth of Christ would ever take place. What a special proclamation by the prophet this would be. He would call him the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And of course, that hope was coming. The Israelites were in great darkness. A shadow of darkness was overwhelming to them. There was a a lot of unknowns happening in their life. And the prophet came by the words of God to let them know there would be a... Into the New Testament, we looked at Hebrews chapter 6 in our second week, and we were taught about the unshakable hope. How our hope is steadfast, it is firm, and it is most importantly founded in Jesus Christ. And that is an anchor to our soul. And the safety and security that that hope gives us enables us to function day in and day out. And then last week, we came to the book of Romans. The results of our... Jason has always threatened to mute me when he was ready for me to be done, and I thought that's what you did. I thought you were like, okay, that's enough. We reviewed. We're good to go. Let's go home. All right, but we lost the batteries. Thank you. It's been one of those mornings where we forgot to look at the battery power. So last week when we looked at Romans chapter 15, we saw the results of this abounding hope from the power of the Holy Spirit, and the clear results is a true peace, a true joy. This Christmas time, we always talk about this joy and peace, joy to the world, and this peace and goodwill toward all men, and and we hope that those become true results of our day in and day life. For some of us here today, we're thinking peace and joy really went out the window about three weeks ago when I began all the preparations for Christmas, and the chaos of Christmas has a tendency to take out the real purpose, the real meaning, the real focus. And, uh, and we forget about the true hope. And when the power of the Holy Spirit works within us, it, it bounds our hope so that true joy and peace just overflow out of us. So this morning, now I want us to look at Luke chapter 2. And what would a Christmas Sunday, without at least recounting some of these thoughts from Luke 2, what would it be without this birth of Christ? And what a fantastic story. God sent his son from all eternity to morality. He sent his son from from glory into flesh and from a throne into a manger. It's an amazing story that gives us the ultimate hope born in ultimate humility. If he had not been born in this humility, this, this way of humble beginnings, boy, we would really truly miss the amazing miracle of the birth of Jesus Christ. And so this is the day that hope was born 
I want us to look at verse number two. Now, we know verses one through seven are so crucial to the account of the birth of Christ, for it records in verse seven, she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in. And so follow, there's no room for them in the end. But our text this morning is going to come from eight through 14. And so follow along as I begin in verse number eight, Luke two. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger." And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. This morning I want us to look together and see the day hope was born and see how it has transformed life ever since that very beginning moment. Father, we thank you for your son Jesus Christ and the celebration of this time of year of that baby being born. Lord, we know that the culmination of the story is not about the manger, for it is the the travel, the journey from birth to the cross. For the cross is pointed in every direction from the law and the pages of the New Testament. All points to the cross of Jesus Christ. So today, my prayer would be, as we look at the day that hope was born, that our hearts would be encouraged, that we would be strengthened and challenged, That, Lord, if there's somebody here that doesn't know about this hope in their life, that they would meet Jesus face-to-face or in a a very personal way today. And we'll thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Meeting Jesus face-to-face, I'm not asking for anybody to die today, so don't get that in my prayer when I said meet Jesus (laughs) face-to-face. You ever say something and, and you're like, oh, wait, maybe that's not the phrase I wanted to use. Some of you were half asleep. You're like, he said face-to-face? I'm with you. All right, okay. Well, here we go. Why did Jesus come here? And we all know the story, and we can recount it through probably even memorizing and quoting Luke 2 together. But do you realize that not every child has had the opportunity to sit in a Sunday school classroom and to hear how Jesus was born in a manger? Not every kiddo has been able to sing the songs with the loud part of their voice, Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, or joy to the world, the Lord has come. Not every child has had the ability or the opportunity for a mom and dad to sit down with them and teach them the real reason for this season and time of year. And unfortunately, those children who've never heard or experienced the real reason, they grow up and become teenagers and young adults, and they, uh, they begin to become people who function in society, voicing their opinion and, and voicing their quote-unquote knowledge about this time of year. So it's very unfortunate that too many people don't know the purpose of Christmas or why Jesus came. Now, while we know, we must tell it. We must proclaim that hope is here, that hope was born, and that it brings a change to people's life. And the day that Jesus was born was the day that everything happened. And in verse 11 and 12, we see that this hope brought salvation The wonderful truth is that when the Israelites were being proclaimed back 700 years before that a Messiah would come and that this truth of the covenant would be fulfilled, 
there was much confusion about how this would happen. From the end of Malachi, when we study in the Old Testament, we study that he speaks uh, through the voice of God in his prophecy about a, a growing hope and that the source of the word of God produces a hope within us that causes us to respect and honor God and to love God and therefore love people as well as to to respond to God when God is doing something in your heart and in your life. And when Malachi prophesied that to the Israelites, 400 years of darkness would happen with silence and no voice. People would wonder about this hope that had been prophesied and proclaimed, this coming of a Messiah, this coming of a salvation, this coming of a Savior. And for 400 years, the pages had been silenced. The voices would not speak of this until we pick up in the New Testament where the gospel is recorded and written in Luke chapter number 1 and 2. Now, this is going to be an incredible change of pace. This is going to bring the good news of salvation. This is the reason for this time of year. This is why Jesus came, is so that this hope would bring salvation. In verse number 11, we see the word Savior. There's three names here. The, the word Savior is given in verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior. This would have been something that the shepherds who are being spoken to by the angel, they would have registered with right away. They're a part of the Jewish culture. Many would say that they were probably even tending on the hillside to the sheep that were a part of the temple functions maybe even raising some of the sheep who would, would be used for sacrifice. And, and, and so this was a great experience for these shepherds to hear these words proclaimed by the angel. The angel would have spoken these words and, and the, the shepherds or a committee to gather and make a collective decision. People need a savior, a transformation. Something would change from who they are, where they are, to something new as a new creation in Jesus Christ. So notice that our Savior is not our money, it's not our material goods, it's not our good deeds, it's not our accomplishments, it's not even our attitude or our very being at the core of who we are. That is not our Savior, that is not what we bank on, that is not what we hope for one day. So it's our Savior, Jesus Christ, and it's all about the incarnate God God coming in man form as Jesus, a Savior in the flesh. The people of John chapter 4, it was the, the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she met Jesus face to face, and uh, she was changed because of a Savior, an encounter with a Savior. And what did she do? She ran into the town to tell all of the people of Sychar to come and to meet this man who knew everything of which I have done. And so these people gather and they meet this Jesus, they have conversation, and he tells them the wonderful truth of how their life can be saved. And in verse number 42 of John 4, it says that they confessed him to be Savior of the world. Well, that shouldn't catch us by any surprise, for it is what was proclaimed by Jesus himself to Nicodemus, which said that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, a Savior there in flesh form for them to meet and to see. And so salvation's plan started with a cloth of a babe and continued with the work of the cross of Jesus Christ. It culminated with victory over sin and death and the grave. That was because of the power of Jesus. 
is not your money. It's not your good deeds. Only saying this Savior. But this Savior is not your money. It's not your good deeds. It's not your possessions. This Savior, which is Christ, Christ the Lord. This word Christ is equivalent in the Greek language for the word Messiah. We know that's what they were longing for. It's what they were looking for was a Messiah. They were under such oppression from the Roman rulers that they, they wanted some Messiah to come and to save them, to free them from this reign for them to no longer have to bow down and function under this rule and reign. And, and so they were so desperately looking for someone to come. And that's why often through the life of Christ that they wanted to, to make him a king. And that's why they so much wanted to put him on the throne. They wanted Jesus to be that, that rescuer to them here on earth. But what they would begin to see is that Jesus Christ was a Messiah, the Messiah, the Jehovah that saves. He was the Lord that saves. And you cannot separate the two. Salvation always equals Jesus Christ. It's the only way that salvation can come. And and folks, let's not get confused and bogged down by all of the other messages that we hear from society. And many people who will try to sugarcoat Jesus by saying, well, you can have a little bit of Jesus, but you sure can have a lot of this as well and mix it in. Because certainly Jesus can't be the only way to heaven. Certainly Jesus is not the only way of true salvation. And in Matthew chapter 1, when he uses the phrase that Jesus Christ, that of the book of the generation, the genealogy of Jesus Christ, we find that Matthew will begin to record the journey that it comes to where all will be centered around Jesus. So in him was life, and the life was the light of men, John chapter 1, verse 4. After Jesus had finished speaking the metaphor of the shepherd and the sheep hearing his voice, he would then speak about being the actual gate for the sheep to come and to enter the desired pasture. In John chapter 10, verse 7, he said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door, the gate of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. By the way, we live among thieves and robbers who are trying so desperately to dilute the gospel and trying to make another way, another path, and another religion. The gospel is offensive in itself. The gospel is a message of of one way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no multiple choice. It is the only way. And uh, so the society is trying to... Everything is offensive. Not so offensive. We live in a generation where everything is offensive. No matter what you do, no matter what you wear, no matter what you say, no matter what you, how you look, no matter what you practice, uh, you, you cannot even have your own opinion anymore because it will be offended. I say we finally just say, well, I'm offended that you're offended by me. I think that, oh, okay, well, I'm sorry. I won't be offended anymore. Maybe that would help. Jesus continued by saying, everybody who's come before me were thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. He said, I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved, and he shall go in and out and find pasture. You know, the thief cometh not but for to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus said, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly, that you may live life to the fullest. And Christian, you may say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm living life the furthest thing from being the fullest. That's where you have to back up and take a gut check 
you might just need to search and find out, where am I going wrong? For Jesus Christ rescued me from the the grip of the thief. He has rescued me from the destroyer. He has rescued me so that I can live life to the fullest and live life abundantly. And so here that Jesus, this Christ, is that answer. And then see also at the end of this verse, multiple times throughout the New Testament, the Lord. This word Lord is used multiple times throughout the New Testament in reference much to as a master. But in this circumstance, in this passage of Scripture, in the original language, it is referring to the covenant name of God. And so it's a title of deity, Christ being God. When you see this in reference to Jesus Christ, you know that it is always pointing to him as being God in man form. Now, we as his believers and followers, we become servants to that Lord. That's why so often we say that in that moment of salvation, you are not only proclaiming Jesus Christ to be your Savior, but also that you become his servant as he, your Lord, and that your life will be changed and that you will live life according to his way and into his walk. And so he becomes our Lord in this deity it's a matter in the matter of salvation. We must understand that Christ child who came as the savior of man is the same God who spoke the world into existence. That's an amazing thing. So there's a quote that I put in your notes this morning. It's a, it's a quote you've heard before. It's, it's one of my more favorite quotes, certainly by John MacArthur. Because when we talk about this matter for just a moment, if, if, if one... If one of us, or if all of us, whoever has been genuinely saved, when we've been genuinely saved and we confess Jesus Christ as our Savior and as our Lord, we certainly now understand this submission to greater things. It's not, in this quote, like he says, too many people just want Jesus to make them well, make them happy, and make them prosperous. You, know, you talk to any missionary that goes into Latin America and you will find that this, uh, this prosperity gospel is, is rampant down in these countries because they come in and they promise happiness, prosperity, and healing. And, uh, and so this is attractive. But it's not only just happening in, in poor countries, it's happening in the United States of America because the reality is so many people want a Jesus who's going to make them well, make them prosperous, make them happy. MacArthur continues, but Jesus Christ isn't a personal genie. He is the Savior. He died in agony to satisfy the wrath of a holy God and to forgive the sins of humankind. Faith in Him depends as a willingness to make any sacrifice that He asks. Let that sink in for just a moment. Because as a follower of Jesus Christ, we're saying that we are willing to make times, or we say, we kind of shoot aside and say, that's a five-year goal. Or we say, my husband will never buy into that. that." Or that's just not possible at our age. Or that's not even possible with um, our resources. And all of a sudden, what the sacrifice that Jesus calls for us to do and calls for us to make, we sidestep because we come up with our own excuses because we say, well, I haven't rubbed along the bottle, genie bottle long enough for Jesus to come out and to make all of that happen. He continues in this quote, 
The hard truth about Christianity is that the cost is high, but the rewards are priceless. Abundant and eternal life that comes only from faithfully following Christ. You see, when our focus and our target is on abundant and eternal life that comes only from faithfully following Jesus Christ, we're totally sold out and committed. So when God calls for us to do something very sacrificial, it becomes natural because we see the priceless reward of this abundant and eternal life only through Jesus Christ. But when our target is here on earth, when we have set our affections on things on the earth instead of the things above, then our motive and our ambition and everything that drives us is concentrated on that. So when when we lose our job, our world crumbles at the very core because so much of our happiness is based on that. Maybe even a sense of accomplishment or the sense of, of, um, of um, finances, paying bills, which is important to do. If, if our satisfaction here on earth is about relationships, some people pursue relationships so hard that they're willing to sacrifice everything. Some people will get into a dating relationship, they'll leave their church Uh, They'll leave their their core friends of accountability all for the sake of love. And that relationship becomes their motive and their goal. And then when that relationship doesn't work, their life is shattered because that's what all of their affection and all of their attention has been on. Parents do the same thing. When every bit of who you are is poured into your kids and your kids don't turn out exactly the way you had written the script... And things don't really happen. They don't respond to you the way you think they should. And and they're not making the grades you think they should. And things aren't happening. And because everything of who you are is poured into them and it's excelling. and, And that's where you spend your investment. You sacrifice the things of God so that they can propel. All of a sudden then, everything falls apart at the core. And your attention is on the wrong things. Now everything that I just listed, nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with investing in our kids. Nothing wrong with giving them experiences and pushing them for excellence and then to do all of that to the glory of God. By the way, parents, when was the last time that they did something and you reminded them, now this is done for the glory of God and to the blessing of others, whatever it might be. The same with our business or our, our, um, our career. There's certainly nothing wrong with having a career, making money and paying bills. Those are good things. But what is your drive and focus? And so the cost is high, but the good news is that salvation is offered to all mankind and brings its change and reward in our life. This hope brings salvation, but it also brought speaking and telling them to go find the sign that the babe is going to be wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger. And suddenly, with that angel, there came a multitude of the heavenly host praising God, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest. The hope brought celebration. Everyone looks for reasons to celebrate. Um, We all enjoy celebrating different things, birthdays, anniversaries, um, parties galore. We just want to get together and celebrate. In this story here, the angels celebrated, Joseph and Mary celebrated, the shepherds celebrated. And when you read through the rest of Luke 2, you'll find that Now, in a couple of days, many of us, if not all of us, will gather with family and friends, and we'll have our Christmas feast, and we'll exchange gifts, and there'll be a time of laughter, Uh, there'll be a time of making memories, and the times that we are together is a time of, of celebration. 
We all enjoy that. And when we look at that, we love to celebrate this. We think about this event. What happened here, now I've already been given my invitation. I've been already told of uh, where we're going to be Christmas Eve. So mom and dad invited us, hey, Christmas Eve is a grand tradition. We come over, we open all the gifts with the grandkids and, and do our gift exchange. We read Luke 2 before that. We have some refreshment snacks. We have a good time together. And then Christmas Day, because Natalie's parents are, uh, are up, in, uh, up north, we, do, we flip-flop, and so we did Thanksgiving with them. So Christmas Day is, is a time we're going to go back over to Mom and Dad's. I think a bunch of family are gathering for the feast on Christmas Day. And uh, so we've been given our invitation. It was a be there kind of a thing. And so we're going to be there, and uh, we're going to have fun, and we're going to look forward to it. But when you look at this event that took place, there was no formal invitation sent out for anyone. Uh, There were no preparations for the party place. I can guarantee you the innkeeper didn't wake up that day thinking, something amazing is going to happen in my stable tonight. Let me clean it up a little bit. Hey, let's get some some pooper scoopers, and let's get this place looking better, all right? Let's bring in some fresh hay, and uh, let's make this place smell and look good. No, there was no preparation for the party. Uh, There was no surprise entrance as they arrived into Bethlehem. By the way, Bethlehem was asleep when Jesus came. Uh, Bethlehem did not know what was taking place in their own little city that day. They were just maxed out, people to every corner, and uh, they were distracted by the hustle and bustle of the day. There was no balloons, no decor, no cake. I mean, when you think of this story, Christ was entering into a feeding trough, and this was a weird situation. A mother pregnant before even married, a father who almost broke off the engagement, Parents who made their decisions based on an angel's dream. A cousin born to the elderly. A birth that prompts the murder of hundreds of other babies. He was born in a stable, his first bed a feeding trough. This is quite the thing to celebrate. You say, what's the big deal? Well, the angel announced to the shepherds the birthday of a king. The birthday of something special. The shepherds left to find and worship this newborn king in verse number 15 and 16. When they went, they came and they found him. In verse 17, the news began to travel. In verse 18, those who heard it, they marveled at the remarkable truth of what has taken place. And so today we celebrate that God is with us, that God is for us, and that God's good and perfect gifts are constant and unchanging. When you think about God is with us, we know Matthew 1, 23, his name should be called Emmanuel, which being interpreted as God with us. Satan trembles. Uh, Spurgeon said this, Satan trembles when he hears the name Emmanuel. Think about that. This name that was given to him, this God is with us. Some in here today, you might be pretty lonely this time of year. Maybe you have a lot of memories that are flashing through your mind. Maybe you have some rough circumstances that seem to kind of always happen, a lot of drama this time of year. Some of you feel very lonely, and even sitting in among a crowd like this, you probably could potentially even feel the loneliest you've ever felt. And it's one thing for us to say that at Christmas time, it's a time of fun and laughter and gathering and, and families together and friends together. But the truth and reality is is that some people are are missing a dear loved one or some have no friend to call on. Some are very lonely this time of year. It'd be easy to bypass that and say simply, well, God is with us. God is with you. 
But the truth is, is that even in the midst of all of that, that that is at the very core what gives us great comfort. It is not something that just, it is God who is with us. And when God is with us, who can be against us? When God is there, he's going to help comfort us. It's just that we have to open ourselves to that. None of us really like when our script gets off base, when the pages don't smoothly turn as we would want them to. And so that's a very natural human reaction in our core of who we are. But we always have to come back to the very fact that God is sovereign and in control. And that nothing catches him off guard. Nothing catches him by surprise. And our timing is not his timing. His ways are not his ways. And so we have to submit ourselves to that. Understand, God's not your enemy. God is not punishing you. God is not against you. God is with you. And God is for us. We see that all throughout the scriptures, we see this phrase, for you or for us. When Christ instituted communion, he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Paul would even write in Romans 8, 31, what shall we then say to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? In Matthew 20, verse 27 and 28, and and whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant, even as the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. So we think about that God is for us. Sometimes it's easy to forget that God truly is on our side. And that God is cheering for us. God is pushing us. He's propelling us. He's walking with us. God is for us. But then also we celebrate in God's good and perfect gift. Because those gifts are constant and unchanging. James chapter 1, every good and every perfect gift is from above. And cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. When we think about that good and perfect gift, what does it mean that there is no variableness and there's no shadow of turning with these gifts from above? This phrase, cometh down, is a phrase that is a, it's in the present participle, meaning that it keeps on coming down. So it keeps on coming. So the, the gift is not just the baby born in a manger, for that was just a moment in history. But the good and perfect gifts that are from above, those are constant gifts of giving to us. Too often we bypass the gifts. It's usually the small gifts under the tree that kind of get bypassed because we really want to get to the big one because we've been looking at it for three weeks and we shake it and make some noise and we wonder what it is and uh, we think that it's going to be really exciting until we realize that it's just an empty box with a $15 gift card as a, a gag and then there was this really nice diamond bracelet in this really small box. And so often we overlook some of the small gifts in our life, the small gifts of God's protection though we too often take for granted. The gift of God that is his provision, even though when we look at our bank account, we think that God's forgotten about how many zeros we need on which side of the number. So, so many times we, we forget about these constant giving of gifts that God gives to us. He does not give occasionally. He gives constantly. Sometimes we don't see these gifts, but he's sending them. And then the verse says, no variableness. 
It's impossible for God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for them to ever change. Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. So he cannot change for the worse because he is holy. He cannot change for the better because he's already perfect. So because he is unchanging, we should never question his love or ever doubt his goodness. That's important to remember. Because he is unchanging, we should never question his love or doubt his goodness. You say, well, God just doesn't seem alive to me as he used to. God just doesn't seem as if he's concerned as he used to. God doesn't seem as involved or, or providing or protecting. And if you look at my health bill this week, you'll see that, that that's just, it just seems like God doesn't care. And all of a sudden, we've got these things that we... But remember, God's unchanging. It's just our perspective and our responses that too often change. In the Christian life, we're too fickle. We're up one moment, down the next. We love the high-top experiences on the mountain. Find it in Isaiah chapter 43, verse 2. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned, neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. You know, when difficulties come into our life and these temptations appear, our perspective must be on hope, has brought us salvation, and this hope has brought us celebration. Many, if not all in here today, you've experienced this salvation, this hope that has been brought to you. But the darkness of your life seems thick and difficult at times. Sometimes you blame yourself. Sometimes you blame circumstances. Sometimes you don't see any way up or out. And, and, and so, so much in your darkness is consuming. And so may I remind you with these thoughts. You know, the shepherds responded in verses 19 and 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. So the question becomes, we know that hope has been born. But what are you doing about that? Will you be as the shepherds and return to your life tomorrow, proclaiming glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men? Why? Because hope is here.